Welcome to Changeling Cast, the podcast dedicated to reading and dissecting urban fantasy, paranormal, and speculative romance series. I'm your host, Mara, from the YouTube channel Books Like Woe, and this season we are making our way through Nalini Singh's Psy Changeling series. Today we are talking about two of my top three novellas in the series. So we already talked about the other of the of the triad. Um, my top three are point five, which is Nate and Tammy getting together. Then the two that we are talking about today, which are point nine point five and ten point five, uh, which are Cooper and Grace's stories, and then the extended HEA for Walker and Laura. So all of those are in the Wild Invitation collection. And because I love all three of those so much, I also, I, the, the fourth one, I believe is um, Whisper of Sin, which I also enjoy. Like I like the fourth one as well, but just in terms of it's not my top, top fave. Uh, but anyway, because those three are just some of my favorite stories in the series writ large, I tend to think of Wild Invitation as a whole as one of my favorite books in the series because I just, I've, I've reread all of these many times and they're just comfort reads for me. So anyway, with that being said, today we are talking about I be believe it's called Declaration of Courtship, which is 9.5, and that is Grace and Cooper's story, and then Texture of Intimacy, which is uh, Walker and Laura's extended HEA. So we will start with 9.5, Declaration of Courtship. So we heard allusions to this particular story in Play of Passion, uh, which is book nine. So we had heard that Cooper was sort of getting his, you know, tail tied in knots over a little submissive wolf who he was courting and that wolf is grace and i just love this story so much if i was gonna pick one of the short stories that is my favorite one of the novellas that's my favorite i think it'd be either this one or um beat of temptation i'm not oh yeah i'm not sure which it's either this one or nate and tammy's this one is just so sweet and delicious and I love it. Okay, anyway, I'll stop gushing and just get into talking about what happens in this one. So Cooper is, I'm gonna say, the fourth highest ranked wolf in Snowdancer. He has his own, he's one of, he's one of um, Hawk's lieutenants and he has his own uh, territory. I believe it's in Southern California near the border down there. So anyway, he has a very large territory and he is probably the fourth most uh, dominant wolf in Snowdancer because it's mentioned um, if Hawk were to die that between Riley, Indigo, and Cooper, one of the three of them could take over. Probably it would be Riley with Indigo and Cooper as his, you know, top lieutenants. So basically Cooper is hella dominant. And he has his eye on a wolf who has just moved into his territory um, to get away from her sort of overprotective family uh, named Grace. And Grace is sort of like a technical engineer of some kind. She works on a lot of the different sort of electrical systems within the territory. And she is incredibly submissive. She is one of the most submissive wolves in the hierarchy. And we have not really seen this dynamic happen before. 
where we have somebody who is uber dominant with somebody who is uber submissive. And again, this fits in nicely with what's happening in this sort of section of the series in general, in terms of these uh, nuances of dominance and submission. There's been several kind of iterations or plays on that. Uh, definitely we saw that with Drew and Indigo in book nine. So this story kind of makes sense to be kind of a foil for that one, kind of in the mix with what's happening in that book. But Cooper has his eye on Grace, but he is aware, both of them are very aware from the jump that if this is going to happen, they're going to have to proceed with extreme caution because Grace, her wolf will be sort of tripped into abject mindless submission very easily if Cooper is not careful. And at the beginning, he kind of comes up to her while she's at work and she can't even really look at him. And he uh, basically says like, hey, I'm digging it. <laughs> like, I'm going to start courting you. And then he kind of backs off. He's like, I'm just, I'm, it's called a declaration of courtship. And that's sort of what kicks off the book or kicks off the story. I am going to court you. And he's kind of acknowledging, like, I know that this is a tricky situation in terms of pack hierarchy. And also with like, I don't want you to just say yes, because, you know, I'm the head honcho in this area. You like, he's basically just acknowledging that he understands that there are consent you know, power dynamic issues at play. And he's trying to tread carefully. So Grace is not even sure that she would be able to let him court her at first, because she's just worried that she'll never be able to get to a point where she doesn't see him as a more threatening wolf. And really, this is just such a sweet story of, you know, them kind of taking step, steps forward and then taking steps backwards uh, with her, you know, wanting wanting to be with him, but then kind of having her submissiveness triggered. And the other thing that's going on is that Cooper, because he now has these strong feelings for someone and he's, you know, we know eventually going to get into the mating dance, he is having a resurgence of trauma from his teenage years where basically his parents went out to dinner one night or when I forget, maybe they were going to a wedding, they they were going to be out for the evening. And there was a heavy rainstorm, they got into a car accident, and they were both killed. And Cooper just has a lot of just freaking trauma from that. And he, you know, never has really dealt with it. So as he starts pursuing grace, he starts having these nightmares um, where he is seeing her being killed or where he's reliving what it was like to wake up and find out that his parents were dead. Like there's a whole um, kind of just journey that he has to go on understanding that he has, it's not weakness for him to confront that fear and to share it with Grace. He, so basically that's kind of their dual journey is Grace is, is learning what it would mean to be able to be in a relationship with someone who her wolf is intrinsically quite afraid of is maybe not quite the right word, but is incredibly aware of um, just how tentative or how um, how much dominance and control that he has over her if he were to choose to exercise it. And so really, it's about both of them learning to embrace the vulnerability that they have with each other. So Grace has to, what she comes to realize is that she could be in a mating relationship with Cooper if she gets to the point where her wolf unquestionably trusts him and knows in its heart of hearts that he will never use his dominance against her. 
And then Cooper has to get to a point where he realizes that Grace isn't weak because she's submissive. He doesn't consciously think that, but he feels like he has to be kind of like, it's basically patriarchal macho macho bullshit. He feels like he has to be the big strong man and kind of like deal with things on his own and not bring things to her. And he has to realize that part of having that kind of relationship with her is trusting her to take care of him when he, you know, is reliving things that are hard for him or where he when he's having a hard emotional time. Um, And it's just a very moving (laughs) dynamic. Uh, And you know, there is this paranormal element, obviously, they're both wolves. And that, you know, is kind of driving some of the intrinsic conflict. But this actually really reads quite like a contemporary in terms of really their conflict is about trust. And so there's not a ton of like big external conflict happening. It's really just the reality of both of them needing to learn to trust and that taking time and sort of edging towards that um, kind of eventual bond and trust that they will have together is something that can't just click into place automatically. So in terms of just, it's not... And it's sort of insta-love, I guess. I mean, like, it moves quickly in the scheme of how long they've known each other. But I just think it's a really beautiful metaphor for the fact that, like, true trust between partners takes time. And even if you consciously want to do something, you know, part of trust is having that track record, right? Like, you can look back and say, like, you have been there for me through this, this, and this. And so when there comes a moment that's really difficult or um, that really puts your relationship to the test, you have that track record. You can look back and instinctively know that somebody's going to be there for you. And I felt like that was just sort of what the metaphor for this was. Um, so it's just it's a beautiful little little novella. It's very sweet um, when they realize. So <laughs> there's this big moment where they realize that they're going into the mating dance. Um, and it's because, uh, you know, Grace. So Grace, her parents also died so they both have lost their parents hers passed when she was quite young and so she has an adoptive family um so she has two adoptive parents and two adoptive siblings and all of her family is very dominant that's part of why she moved to this other den was because she was trying to get away from them because they you know are very well meaning but they just were sort of bulldozing over her and her siblings come down they're kind of like, we heard that this big dominant dude is pursuing you and we're not okay with this and blah, 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 blah. And um, in the course of that confrontation, Cooper comes in and uh, Grace is, he, he instinctively goes for her siblings because he hears them yelling at her and he thinks they're threatening her. And so that triggers his protective instincts. And uh, she, he starts to kind of go after them and Grace is able to step in and sort of stop him from doing that. And that's like a big moment of trust in her kind of journey of realizing that she can stand up to somebody who's so much more dominant than her. And she, in, in that moment, instinctively trusts that he's not going to hurt her. And so it's a big moment in that sense, but it's also the beginning, um, uh, they, essentially when he recognizes that they're in a mating dance and her siblings kind of look at him and look at her and realize that's what happened. And they're like, uh, our bad, sorry. And they kind of just peace out and they're like, we'll talk to you later. And it's it just, it's a cute, it's a cute little moment that's both a big step in the plot and sort of um, the their journey together, but it's also just, it's played in a very light com- comedic way. So 
With all that being said, I just love this this novella. I think it's such a delight. Um, and like I said, I've reread it multiple times. I will also mention that they get sort of an extended HEA in a uh, newsletter exclusive little short story. I believe it's called Dancing with Cooper. And it takes place during book 11. Uh, which we'll be talking about in our next episode. So I don't want to get too far into it, but basically it takes place during Hawk and Sienna's mating ceremony. And it's just, it's a nice extended HEA for them where we get to see them um, as an established mated couple going to this basically like the equivalent of a wedding. And uh, yeah, it's just, we get to see all our favorite pals <laughs> from the Snow Dancer uh, pack, and we get to see them, you know, dance and, and kind of just enjoy their HEA. So that is also a very sweet little vignette that I thought I'd mention in with this one. So that's 9.5. I would give this like a four and a half or a five star. I just love this novella so much. It's either this one or Nate and Tammy are my is my favorite novella in the whole of the side changeling novellas and short stories. So anyway, love this one. And then 10.5 is Texture of Intimacy, which like I was saying is the extended HEA for Walker and Laura. And I think uh it's just it's it's a really lovely kind of day in the life type story. Um I will mention well, okay, let's get into the things I like about this. I would give this one like a four star because of a couple of things that I think are a little off for me tonally, but I still really, really like this this novella a lot. Um, and I think it's, it's very sweet. So um, basically this takes place, so this takes place after Kiss of Snow, but before Tangle of Neen, hence 10.5. So this is taking place right after the big battle that we get at the end of Kiss of Snow. And it's sort of the macro plot that's happening in this is everybody kind of getting back to normal in the den. And so we've, we see Laura, you know, working with different of the soldiers who were in the battle and kind of like checking in and making sure that they're okay. Uh, we find out that Ty, who is a snow dancer soldier we've seen a lot over the last few books, I really like him, but he is pursuing one of Zach's little sisters uh, who we met in, oh no, that's that's the other novella in this one. Sorry, I just remembered. It's Annie and Zach's story that is the fourth one in Wild Imitation, and it's my other favorite. Yes, I just freaking love this collection. It's so good. Okay, anyway, Annie and Zach, <laughs> they got together um, in that earlier novella, and um, we know that Zach has these two twin sisters, and Ty is uh, pursuing one of them. We also find out in this that Annie is pregnant, so fun little side note there. But anyway, so, you know, we see Laura kind of talking to him because she knows that he's been struggling a little bit. Uh, so we get those kinds of moments. We see Walker working with the kids um, in the pack to um, help them kind of readjust and get resettled. So that's sort of the macro plot that's happening. In terms of what happens in their HEA, it's just very sweet. Basically, Walker is kind of saying like, you know, I'm not going to be an easy person to be mated to because I just am not... I'm not a changeling male. I don't know how to always give you the affection and the love, like kind of the overt signs of love and support that you need. But like, I'm gonna give it my all. I'm gonna do my best. And Laura basically saying like, that's all I want you to do. I want you, you know, I get that emotions are hard for you. I just don't, you, as long as you never purposely are shutting me out of your emotions, like I can handle that. 
So it's really, you know, they're, they move into new family quarters. Um, we get to see them um, talk about having kids. And she wasn't sure if he wanted more kids, but they agree um, that they'd like to have kids if possible. So, you know, she's going to stop taking birth control. So that's like a big comment that they have. Um, they have a lot of just like them feeling each other out kind of moments. So uh, he sees Laura giving somebody a kiss on the mouth, uh, an adult male, and he doesn't quite know how to interpret that because he sees that as something that only the two of them do. But you know, it's because he doesn't really have affection with other adults besides her. So they, they have a good conversation. And she agrees like, okay, yeah, if that's a boundary for you. Like, I can respect that. Um, so I, I felt like that, like, there's just a lot of so, sort of them negotiating the terms of how they're going to be happy together. Um, the kind of ultimate conflict that they end up having is that in this moment of tension, he purposely shuts down their mating bond, like he freezes it out. And that freaks her out. And she's like, hey, you agreed that we you were not going to purposely shut me out. And that's what you did. And like that was wrong. You should not have done that. And so they have their first fight. And then it's just they they're even learning how to fight. And so they're kind of, you know, giving each other the silent treatment all day. But when he comes back to their, you know, bedroom, he realizes that she's wearing his favorite nightgown. And like, he realizes that she's, you know, kind of giving him a signal that she wants to make up. And so they do make up. And it's just it's sweet. It's really, really sweet. Okay, like, this is just very cute. Very sweet. We get this lovely scene where Judd passes along um, some information or some like, basically, he shares that Aiden from the arrows has been in touch with him. And Walker remembers how Aiden was as a little boy when he was his teacher and how Aiden would like, try to shield the other kids from getting hurt. It's and like, it's just so sweet. I can't handle how sweet it is. Um, and also just basically, Judd shares with Walker that their happiness that Walker and Judd being able to be happy is giving the rest of the arrows so much hope, and how important that is. And it's just it's adorable. And everybody is just so happy for Walker and Laura. Um, it's just very sweet to see everybody be so happy for these two. Um, and so at the end, we also like kind of the concluding scene, um, they realize that Walker is able to essentially Laura is able to hear Walker telepathically. She can't yet at least speak back to him telepathically. But that is something that they did not expect. But they're assuming it has something to do with the fact that she's a healer and they have like a unique kind of psychic connection to Alpha. So somehow she's able to hear him. They're hoping hoping that maybe she'll be able to speak back to him at some point. But that is another exciting little moment. So this is very sweet. The only thing and I will say part of this is just like, when I'm recording this, Oh, man. Okay, there's just been a lot going on in the world of uh, women's choice here in the US recently. And so the once again rehashing of the whole like, Yelena aborted Walker's kid thing. It just it's like, I just wish it wasn't there. <laughs> I, I was thinking about it. And I don't know, Jen brought this up in the main conversation we had of Kiss of Snow. And I hadn't ever really like put my finger on that being something I didn't love. But when she said it, I was like, yeah, 
Like, why is this here? Because if you're like ardently pro-life, you don't want to hear about an abortion. And then if you're ardently pro-choice, like, it's just like, oh my gosh, we're using abortion to vilify a woman. Don't love that. Um, And actually, even in this particular short story, I think really it hammers home why that isn't necessary to show that Yelena was not in their family the way that Walker thought she was. Because he's he's sharing that detail of the fact that she had like, by the time they came home, she'd already boxed up all of the kids belongings to donate to charity because they were going to be rehabilitated. And literally, Laura says, that's not silence, Walker, that's cruelty. Walker stroked his hand down her side, felt the rage that vibrated through her. It was as, as if she had never been their guardian. He said, the insight making no more sense now than it had then, had never had never vowed to care for the children. And like, that's really what the crux of the issue is, is that he doesn't, like, because he was never fully silent, he cannot project into her mind what it would be like to be so callous towards children that you had said you were going to be a guardian to, because that goes so against who he is as a person. Like, his whole existence really has been defined in being somebody who takes care of these of children who cannot, you know, who are helpless or who um, are just put into these awful situations. So like, he just can't, like, understand how that could be her being so callous, like he, he just can't put himself into that mindset. And that's really what the crux of this is. It's not a question of, you know, like the abortion is just not necessary. Anyway, all that to say that, especially after having talked about that with Jen this time and doing the reread, I was like, yeah, that really, I just wish it wasn't there. So that's the only thing that I'm like, oh, I wish this wasn't a part of it. And yeah, anyway, enough said about that, I guess. But all that being said, both of these novellas are so great. I love them so much. I just love the entire Wild Invitation little series. Um, I will say, if you're somebody who is not ready to commit to a full side changeling experience. Now, why you wouldn't be, I don't know. But if, if somebody's wanting to like dip their toes into the world of side changeling, I actually feel like this would be a really good collection to give someone because while yes, there are some spoilers ultimately and some allusions to other things that are going on in the bigger series, really, I think that these read a lot just like kind of paranormal love stories, like paranormal romances that hold up, I think, pretty well on their own. They're just generally good stories, even apart from anything that has to do with like the world building underlying them. So with that in mind, I mean, this this wouldn't be a terrible first experience, I think, with Side Changeling, this collection. So anyway, I'm glad we got a chance to take a detour and gush about this one because I really do love it. Um, I know a lot of you guys are very fond of the of this particular collection and her novellas in general as well. Um, so I'm glad we got to take a little pause to talk about it. But with that pause being done, we now get to move on to Tangle of Need, which I have reread already. And I will tell you, I have some surprising findings based on my my pre- preconception about how it was going to go versus how it actually went. So I will look forward to talking about this book with you in two weeks. So that is book 11, Tangle of Need in two weeks. Uh, And yeah, I think that will do it for this episode. So if you would like to follow me, you can follow me at Books Like Woe 
pretty much everywhere. You know, YouTube, Goodreads, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, all the things. You can find me at Books Like Woe, all those places. And yeah, that will do it for this episode. Hope you're having a great one. And I will talk to you in two weeks about Tangle of Need. Bye. Bye.